welcome to the Intelligent Growth Podcast, the ultimate guide for go-to market leaders who aspire to engage and influence their target relationships to market more impactfully, sell more profitably, and create customer evangelists. We're going to help you strategically navigate the customer lifecycle journey from awareness through purchase and all the way to material value creation for your clients. Your hosts have worked with hyper-growth, mid-market, and global enterprises and understand the unique challenges and opportunities CMOs, CROs, and CCOs face when they embark on marketing sales and customer success motions. Get ready to unlock the potential of your unique go-to market strategy, transform your perspective into powerful campaigns, and position yourself as the world-class revenue growth benchmark. This is the Intelligent Growth Podcast with your hosts, Jen Cords and David Knorr. Hi, everybody. Uh, David Knorr with my partner, Jen Cords for another episode of our Intelligent Growth Live. Hello, Jen. Hi, Knorr. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Uh, we're elated to uh, have John Burrows join us from JB Sales. Hello, John. Hey, David. How are you doing, man? Hey, it's great Jen. to have you. Uh, for our yeah. audience, uh, we're live on, let's see, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and 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 we're talking about a, a really interesting topic. John and I know each other through uh, an organization we both belong to, Go to Market Fund, and we got talking about kind of what we're seeing in the market. And uh, I, I don't want to you know, call us old school, but let's just say old school selling and how that old school is kind of evolving, not necessarily for the positive and some <laughs> of the challenges that we're seeing. So we start talking a lot about this idea of the agile sales organization. And we thought it'd be great to have John come join us. I also just interviewed John for a Forbes leadership article that'll be out in a couple of weeks. I'd encourage you to both listen to this episode. If you're live, would love to have you jump in. Uh, otherwise, you can listen to it wherever you consume podcasts. Just search for Intelligent Growth and uh, and also search this interview on Forbes in a couple of weeks. And I think you'll get some really good nuggets out of our discussions. So, John, without further ado, if you could start with an intro, kind of where you've been, what you've done, background, how you've arrived here, that'd be an awesome start. Perfect. So I'll try to keep it brief. Uh... Grew up here in Boston, uh, went down to Maryland, drank my way through four years of college, got my degree in marketing because I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, fell into sales like everybody else, uh, got my first job with DeWalt Power Tools, driving around, giving away free tools to construction workers, which was pretty fun. Uh, that's actually where I learned about bottom-up selling instead of top-down selling because going on to construction sites and going straight to the foreman got me kicked in the teeth. Whereas if I learned from the actual users, they were I, they educated me. So uh, then I sold for Xerox. Uh, that's where I got my real sales education. Uh, so copiers to the government, which is about as bad as it gets, uh, but they had a great sales training program. Then I started a company with a few friends of mine from high school, uh, self-funded. We did outsourced IT services to the SMB market. And uh, I was the VP of sales and marketing at the ripe old age of 23 years old, which tells you the titles don't mean anything. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. So I took every training. I took Sandler, Miller, Hyman, Taz, Spin, all of it. And I came across this group called Basho, which is this training that I loved because it was super tactical. Helped me grow, thrive to, we were the fastest growing company in Massachusetts for about two, three years in a row. Got us to about 85 employees, about 12 million in revenue, sold us off to Staples. So Staples came and bought us. Spent about a year going through that integration. Come to find out, apparently, I'm not a corporate guy. Uh, I don't have much of a filter and I really don't like playing politics. So after a little while, Staples offered me another position. They fired me. And, uh, and I was looking for a job and Basho came knocking and said, John, you want to be a trainer? And I said, absolutely not. 
they were like, why not? I'm like, I don't like trainers. Um, because most trainers I had come across up until that point in my career were either failed sales professionals or professional presenters and uh, didn't want to be one. But Basho had a model where you had to sell to train. So I liked it. Joined them, took on some bigger accounts, brought on some bigger ones. And to make a very long story short, they screwed it up and I took it over. So went off on my own about 12 years ago now, took all the clients and brought on some new ones. And I'm working with companies like Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box, Dropbox, Okta, AWS, Google, Amazon, all those fun companies and training their sales teams on tactical stuff to fill in the funnel and also negotiate and close. I, I'm I'm concerned. I don't think you've done enough. And, and I also don't think we could have done that as as any faster. So if you for the audience, if you could nail, you know, slow it down to like 0.5, you'll catch some great nuggets in, in just that, you know, the, the brief intro. But but thank you for that for that background. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a fun one. So, John, you mentioned that you're working with some bigger clients, uh, and some of them are in the SaaS tech space. So like and you're training their sales and uh, enablement teams. Can you dive into that on exactly what you're training them on? Yeah, so there's there's consulting and training, right? Like I'm, I'm definitely a trainer, I'm not a consultant. So you gotta have your stuff in place before I come in. I don't go go to market strategies, right? Even though I can you know, give advice on that. But for me, I got two main programs. One's called Filling the Funnel, which is all about getting meetings. Uh, basically, you know, it's, it's, email, it's, it's ICP, persona, contact strategy, email, phone, everything, just to get the meeting, right? Um, and then driving a close, which is another program with negotiation, objection, and closing. And both of those I position as, I'm, they're not 101, but they're they're fundamentals, right? Those rooted in fundamentals as far as the structure and creates an agile process for each one of those. And then we go deep on certain topics with with other partners and everything else. But yeah, I work with mostly, I'd say probably at this point, 75 to 80% of what I train is the prospecting stuff because most other people, once they get to the meeting, they have some sort of quote unquote methodology, right? That they try to apply, whereas nobody has a methodology for prospecting, and it's the hardest thing to do in the sales process right now. So that's where I don't think there's anybody else out there better than than me when it comes to that front end of the pipeline. Uh, the other stuff is debatable, right? Like it's all situational based, but that front end stuff is what I train a lot of reps on. Senior AEs on how to prospect in a quality way, junior SDRs, BDRs, how to do volume without spray and pray and being like marketing. And there's a fine line on that. So. Yeah, uh, just to kind of follow up on that, in another interview that I, I heard you do, you'd mentioned that the predictable revenue model has actually destroyed sort of the customer experience, but then also the ability for people to prospect yes. um, and fragmented that. Like, is that something that you're seeing trending away from or are we still seeing companies try and do sort of the fragmented prospecting model? Um I think there are a lot of people who are just following a model because it's what everybody else did. And I think right now it's time to throw that model away, quite frankly. Um, the model was great originally, but not for customers. It was great for us as organizations. I'm calling 2010 to 2022 with the golden, golden age of sales, period. Um, it wasn't hard to sell for the past 12 years, if you, especially in SaaS or tech sales. And the predictable revenue model took advantage of that. Because the, you know, for those who are listening who don't know the predictable revenue, it's you know the segmentation of roles, right? So instead of having one sales rep do everything, you got inbound one rep, usually SDR, outbound BDR, set in cold meetings, AEs taking those meetings, closing them in CS. Great, because it helped us scale. We could bring in cheap labor, pay them nothing, beat the crap out of them, let them grow into a sales rep, right? And help us as organizations scale. It's horrible from a client perspective. Who likes to be handed off five times before they actually talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about? The transition between all those is never good. SDRs don't even stay in their role or their company now for, I think the average is 14 months that they stay at the company, forget about the role. 
So all this investment that you give into an SDR to get very bad results these days, they don't even become your AE. So it's just a broken model right now. It's not customer centric. It doesn't work anymore and it needs to be adjusted. So I, I love that. I want to make sure we, 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 we kind of stay on, 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 on uh, the, the, the key conversations and, and my John, it would be great to hear if you can build on that with key trends. So Jen got mm -hmm. us started. Talk about trends you're seeing across maybe different companies you're working with or you see in the market. So we mm -hmm. talked about one of this, uh, maybe in, a, in our previous conversation, I think you called it over-engineered mm. or people that are lockstep in a robotic fashion, moving with a with a process that they have in-house. Right. Talk about some of those trends you're seeing. Yeah, I mean, look, it's we have over-engineered the sales process, I, I mean, especially the front end of it. I mean, look, money was free for the past 10 years. Uh, grow at all costs. Who gives a shit, right? Uh, a 60% button seat is better than a 0% button seat. So who cares? Feedback isn't even coming anymore because first of all, kids don't take feedback very well and they report to HR because they get all pissed off when they get bad feedback from somebody. So managers are scared to give it. So that's not even happening anymore, right? So it's just this, we've tried to throw so much tech at this that we forgot the fundamentals. We teach, we teach these kids on product. We teach them on features and values and benefits and how to prevent, you know, present. We don't teach them how to sell. We don't teach them how to have empathy. We don't teach them how to give a shit. We don't teach them business acumen. And so that is all falling apart in front of our face right now. And so the trends that you asked for, like I've talked to well over 100 CROs uh, since the beginning of the year, almost every single one of them. If they haven't already gotten rid of their SDR or BDR org, they've significantly restructured or are thinking about it. And it's because when you look at it as itself, as an entity, if you just taste, take that business unit and you look at the value that it brings, conversion ratio is at an all time low. Response is that, you know, like all, all across the board is at an all time low. So you take a hundred thousand dollar OTE resource and you have them making cold calls all day long and hammering out template emails that most marketing channels in, in mo most marketing things can do anyways, part out eloquent, like all those sales loft outreach, those tools are great when used the right way. But when they're used like spam engines, like 90% of the clients do, I don't understand the difference between that and marketing. I could actually do it better with marketing because marketing is going to look at the analytics. They're going to make the adjustments on the, all that stuff where sales reps are just going to push buttons. Uh, this politically correct and um, PG rated episode is brought to you by the local church that, that I'm kidding. I'm joking. No, no, no. What I love about this is what, what you, what you see is what you get, right? John doesn't mask any yeah. of it. And, and, and the sad part is you're exactly right in that, that somehow, you know, either one CRO built this and went to others or trained a whole bunch of other people that all became CROs but it just looks like rinse and repeat. It looks like every, particularly in SaaS. And, and John, you may remember from our conversation, I, I went to Sastra mm -hmm. and, and it was my first time. Jen's been there a whole bunch of times, but it was my first time. And, and what was funniest to me was in each of their booths, they have each other's logos in there. And that's who they call yeah. enterprise, right? They yeah. all kind of sell to each other and they all talk about kind of enterprise selling to each other. When we talk about enterprise, we're talking about Delta Airlines and yeah. Schneider Electric and Siemens and Disney and truly enterprise companies often mm -hmm. outside of the traditional tech. Mm -hmm. And and they're trying to sell to these companies. They're trying to go upstream or up market, sell to these companies in the exact same way they sell to each other. And it couldn't be more of 
you know, Martian and Venetian or <laughs> Portuguese and Mandarin mm -hmm. because that world doesn't do things like the SaaS world does. Yep. And so I think Jen's going to ask you a follow-up question about the trends we just talked about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was just, so with all those trends and with the broken processes and, and sort of the rinse and repeat, I guess, what do you feel is the answer? And so how does one shift from what they have been doing to something that would work better? Yeah, it's, look, it, it, it it's obviously a lot harder on the enterprise side than it is on the smaller side of the house, right? Because you're trying to turn a Titanic here. Um, but look, there is an argument to be made for a rip and replace, quite frankly, to, to rip out the model and the tech stack, by the way. Because all that stuff that got us into this mess is not going to be what gets us out of this mess. Like all this AI stuff that's coming, there is an argument to say, let me literally burn this whole thing to the ground and start AI native with AI tech and AI sales reps who know how to leverage the AI stuff and get way low on your, on your CAC and everything else because your cost of sales is going to be different because you won't have as many people. I don't think that's the answer. I think there's a transition that we should go through here. And here's what I recommend to a lot of clients is you got to turn your sales org, my opinion here, you got to turn your sales org into a sales lab. There's not one leader out there that can stay up to date on what's happening out there with all the tools and tech and all these different things that are happening. So let's use our organization to address it. Every rep is looking behind their, over their shoulder saying, when is AI going to come for me? When is it coming for my job? They're all playing with it in some way, shape or form. So why not control it? So my suggestion here tactically is Friday afternoons, uh, you know how engineers have uh, hackathons? right? Where they pick a kind of a topic yeah. and they nerd out on it for a little while. I think we should do the same thing for sales. We should do sales hackathons Friday afternoon from two to four, whatever, pick a topic, right? I think I brought this up during our, our conversation, David, where Salesforce just came out with the state of sales report earlier this year that talked about how on average, only 28% of a rep's time is actually spent selling. The other 73, 2% of the time is spent doing admin shit. Well, go find one of those things for two hours, break everybody up into groups, and say, hey, whoever can find a tool, a tech, or whatever it is that can do that thing more efficient than we're doing it now wins the day. Then what happens is you have the young kids working with the older kids, business acumen kids helping with the AI, so they're learning from each other. So job satisfaction goes up, right? And if you find solutions that work, you'll be able to reduce your tech stack and reduce your spend. And we can transition through this as opposed to pretending like it's not happening. Because what you said, David, as far as the enterprise is way different than SaaS, I agree. Problem is... I used to be like, oh man, I got, you take your head one step out of SaaS and it's like sales 1985 all over again. Um, so I always have to put that in check for me, but it's different now. AI is moving faster than ever. So any enterprise rep out there who thinks that they're going to be able to survive on their relationships and their goodwill and all the stuff and their product knowledge and how they can work with the client. I'm telling you right now, AI is coming for you faster than I've ever seen in my life. I can create a better perspective from you using ChatGPT than you can with all your years of business acumen. So AI has to be part of the equation here from this transition uh, point. Again, if any of you have listeners are wondering, John's also available for hugs. JB <laughs> hugs are free. If you feel sufficiently depressed by now, just just jump in. Now, joking aside, is is again the realism of this conversation should hit every CRO, should hit every seller of with the proliferation of ai that is forget even coming that is here yeah. what what value are you really creating and we'll, we'll definitely get to that and talk more about that but john build on that yeah. you said ai specifically and marketing tactically can replace a lot of that 
you know, spray and pray, mm -hmm. the spamming, all that. How do you believe the proliferation of AI is going to impact sales organizations, kind of the focus, the mm -hmm. results, the roles? Yeah. Talk, talk a little about the AI and intelligently, not just haphazardly. I'll start with the analogy of what I think the future sales rep needs to look like, and it's Iron Man or Iron Woman. Because um, if you think of Iron Man, right, uh, Tony Stark, as a human, so let's think, let's make the analogy here between an enterprise AE and <coughs> Iron Man. You have an enterprise AE, who, in, in Iron, like Tony Stark, as a human being, total stud, right? Guy's good looking, he's rich, he's super smart, trifecta jerk, right? But <laughs> as, Tony goes out there and tries to fight all these aliens. He gets smoked, right? Without the suit. So now you create the suit. Well, I don't know if you remember the first Iron Man when he was in the cave and he kind of smashed out of it. Like, well, that was clunky and it was good. And it got him to win that battle, right? But it, he didn't really become Iron Man until he had the AI Jarvis added to it. And so you have the person, the tech, and the AI, and now you're Iron Man and you can kick some ass, right? So I think that's the visual that I want everybody to think of. I think the front end, I think in the next two years, the front end of the funnel is going to be taken over by AI, period. And, and here's the analogy on that one. Why do we hate spam? Why do we hate spam, Jen? Why, why do you hate spam, Jen? Because it provides no value and it just eats up my time. There you go, right? It's not relevant. It's like, they, they, uh, can I share a real quick story? Yeah. Uh, I get an email, uh, you know, I've spent time, David. I've spent time looking at your LinkedIn profile. Seems like you're doing some fantastic things. Have you ever thought about writing a book? Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, eight books in the uh, background, right? 12. This is this is book number 12. Yeah. 12, 12. Sorry. So so with that, so we hate spam because it's irrelevant. Well, why do I like Instagram these days? Well, I've the, I've trained that algorithm. Well, that algorithm has trained me. Okay. I've liked, I've liked certain ads. I've turned them down. I've stayed on things. So now every ad that hits me on on Instagram is actually something I want. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, Oh shit. Like, I didn't know that. Like that's thing. Yeah. I want that one. One click buy one. I mean, I get random stuff in the mail at different times of the year because I don't know where it's coming from anymore. And I love it. So with that, I predict a future that in the next two to three years, AI is going to be so good. And most of us are going to have enough information out there on the internet for it to scrape to fill our inboxes with hyper-personalized and hyper-relevant messages. Mm. And in that case, do I care that it's coming from a human being? I don't, I don't know about you. Now, do I wanna talk to a human being? Absolutely. Mm. So I think we're moving, my prediction here, SDR BDRs roll right up under marketing and operations. It's already happening. It's been happening a trend. It's just accelerated this past year. They're all going to be salaried positions and they're going to be more data analysts looking at trends and intent data and stuff like that. And then feeding over lead, you know, opportunities and meetings and leads to full cycle sales reps again, who are then going to take that. And we're going to be sitting in front of a dashboard. And instead of me sitting in front of my dashboard and saying, Hmm, who should I reach out to today? It's going to say, no, 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 John, you need to reach out to Jen. And uh, because she just did this, her company's doing this, the macroeconomics are doing these things. And she just tweeted about that. And by the way, you should call her instead of email her because she likes phone because I know her personality. And here's three snippets of things you could say when you get on the phone with her. Then I'm going to have that call. AI is going to record the entire thing, transfer it over into Salesforce or whatever CRM you're using, send the summary email and set up the opportunity with the next steps.
So it's this dashboard view that we're going to be sitting in front of with true ABM and AI supporting it. So we are the last mile as the sales professional that has the engaged conversation with the, with the client. I actually love that. Quick question of you. Do you believe we can take these young, I've got to stop calling them kids because I've got uh, that's a Boston thing. I saw, I, by I, the way, people listening, when I say kid, you could be 90 years old. I'll call no, you a kid. No, that's a Boston I, thing. Yeah. Right. So I, but I have kids that are, I have kids that are, Jen and I both do I have kids that are this age, but so we yeah. got to, so let's just say in the, in yeah. the spring of their careers, Yes. can, can I take that 20 something year old and who, who's traditionally been a BDR SDR, JB, do you believe we can take them and coach mentor them to be full cycle? So let AI mm -hmm. do the initial touch, yep. but then you follow up, you follow through, you ensure you're in fact adding value, nurturing relationship, taking it all the way through. Yes, we just need to slow down. Ah. Xerox. When I joined Xerox, when I first started my career, that wasn't at a predictable revenue model. I was full cycle sales the entire time. I learned through trial by fire, right? DeWalt was my ease in, but Xerox, eight week sales training program, eight weeks. I learned the product, I did role plays. I shadowed actual sales professionals in the field. I talked to executives. I built up my business acumen. And then I was released into the wild to go do my thing. These days, 30 day ramp. Uh, do you got the product? Did you do the pre presentation? Did you get your badge? Uh, okay, here's your list. Go. Like, Slow down. Yeah. VCs, back off. <laughs> Seriously, cut the crap. This grow at all costs. I'm I'm actually thrilled that the IT that the SaaS industry got kicked right in the teeth. And don't get me wrong, I got kicked right in the teeth with it. But I am thrilled, and that VCs got shredded in the mm -hmm. past six months to a year. I am ecstatic about that. Quite frankly. Slow down. I couldn't agree with you more because uh, I've worked with several SaaS uh, companies and they are focused on how quickly can we get people ramped and productive? Like that is their metric versus how well can these people actually do some of the fundamentals? And so often organizations find point solutions from a technology perspective to try and fill some of these gaps. Mm -hmm. So in your work and the things that you've been seeing, like tech consolidation in the last year to 18 months is real. Like how are you seeing organizations impacted by that and how are they adjusting to that consolidation? It's from a client perspective or from a sales perspective? Both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. That, that like, uh, here's another opinion of mine, take it for whatever it's worth. Um, all these little point solution companies who are out there creating all these cool little tools with AI, they're just buying time. I, I don't see how Microsoft, Salesforce, uh, let's see, Microsoft, Salesforce, Amazon, and Google, I don't see how they don't, and HubSpot, let's throw HubSpot in there. I don't see how they don't win the day, ultimately, because it used to be these huge companies, they couldn't get out of their own way, right? Because they would have to product, and then they're like, okay, it was good enough, screw it, like, let's release it, nobody, but everybody's dug into our platform, right? Then it was like, screw that. I got money for days and money's free. So let me get three different technologies that all kind of do the same thing. Cause I don't give a shit. Now it's consolidation. Um, and now with AI, they're unleashing it on some of these products and it's really making it really easy to use. 
And so I think it, so that's why I, I'd be scared to death right now. If I was an exec, I am scared to death as an executive making decisions on it. I'll, perfect example with me. I'm trying to find a partner that can help me build AI stuff for what I do. Right. And there's big opportunities for me. There's partners. I am scared to death to try to, to, to figure out who to go with because in next month, something might come out with chat GP that completely changes the game. And so you can't tell me that anybody making a decision right now, think about it for a second. By the time you make a decision of a tech thing, a, some tech, a problem that you have, and then you decide, okay, well, what technologies are out there to do this? Then I have to evaluate vendors. Then I have to go through the process. Then I have to buy it. Then I have to install it. Then I have to adopt it. You're nine to 12 months from any implementation being worth a shit, right? Can you tell me, can you look me in the eye right now and tell me that in nine months, you know what this world's going to look like? I, I have no idea. So that's why I have a coin we can flip. Can I flip a coin? Please. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, seriously, it's, it's you got to throw a dart and say, all right, I'm just taking this guess, but that's why ad agility is so important. And that's why these platforms are, you know, consulting all these tools and you're starting to see that, that, I mean, you see the recent release from Salesforce recently. I mean, at first when Einstein came out, I was like, this is a joke. Even the reps at Salesforce, I talked to like, we don't even know what Einstein does now. Einstein works. Yeah, Einstein works and the integration with Slack and the marketing tech stack side of things. Salesforce has done a really good job of, of integrating on the back end and taking a lot of that tech bloat away if organizations will standardize. I think about Microsoft for a second here. Yeah. You have Office, look, Office 3, I'm still a Microsoft guy, right? So Office 365, love it. Uh, Dynamics 365, dog shit, but is, is, is there, right? Uh, LinkedIn owned by Microsoft. So you now have my entire world. I live in my email box, right? If Microsoft wakes up and turns open AI and just lets it do its thing and hopefully connects the dots here a little bit, I'm going to have LinkedIn here, my email here, my CRM here, all connected to my phone, all connected to my system. I don't have to go anywhere else. Well, and you can also take it a step further. You like Microsoft also owns GitHub. And so you've got your developers and your software and, and like the future engineering of your company could be all rolled into one thing mm -hmm. and all in one sort of ecosystem that plays nice enough together and put AI on top of it. You've got some really cool predictive analytics in there. For our audience, if you've uh, just joined us, you listen to John Barrow's JB Sales real candid conversation about challenges and opportunities in the modern sales organization and candidly, what leaders need to really think about and lead differently with the proliferation of AI, with an over-engineered sales process, a tech bloat that Jen has been talking about for the last couple of years and some really, really rich conversations around these. So John, if I were to summarize the fundamentals, you, mm -hmm. you brought up, uh, I think I heard, and, and I couldn't agree with you more, Xerox was known, almost like GE was known for the way they developed Xerox, Salesforce, business acumen, role models, end-to-end -end kind of selling. Just just summarize those fundamentals that yeah. you believe we should, we really need to go back to. Uh, you mentioned a couple of uh, business acumen, uh, curiosity, and um, what was the other one I would say? Well, AI is with if you if you're not diving into AI, you're screwed. But I think when it comes to fundamentals, curiosity, business acumen, and I, I guess I call it like the give it 
give a shit factor. <laughs> is that a technical term? I just it want is. to say it's a highly technical term. It's a GOS, uh, right? GOSF. I, there's an acronym for it. No, um, but it is, it, I think we've lost that. We've, we've lost caring about who we're reaching out to. We've lost empathy. That was it. It was empathy is, is, is trying to figure out how to give, be empathetic to the people that we're reaching out to. And I don't mean just by sending an email says, I hope you and your family are doing well, like shut up on that. But like really genuinely trying to figure out, like put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So here's an example of what a lot of executives I think they should do. Um, whatever your persona is that your team goes after, have a meeting once a week with a client that fits that persona and have the reps allow and allow the reps to ask them questions. Hey, what's a day in a life look like? Hey, you know, what value do you get out of our solution? Forget our marketing lingo here for a second. What would you say somebody uh, to somebody when, when they say, Hey, what value do you get out of our product? And, and by the way, when was the last time you responded to anything? Like walk me through the buying process on your last thing that you bought. So I just understand that a little bit more. So I'm now talking to the person, the person that I'm going to be executing a cadence to or whatever it is. And so I see them as a person and I don't see them as a number. I don't see them as an email address. I don't see them as a fucking cadence that I have to hit or my 50 dials that I have to hit today or my stupid whatever things that I have to check out the box that my boss isn't going to yell me at for. You're going to, you're going to love this. Uh, so I have a uh, 19 soon to be 20 year old son. And my opinion is very biased, but he's very intelligent. He, he's been around me and, and his mother and we both work in tech. And so, and he's studying intersection of business and technology. So I'm making, I'm, I'm making, I'm, I'm helping with some introductions for a summer internship. JB, we literally spoke this morning. He's like, dad, I go to all these websites and I think I'm pretty smart, but I honestly don't understand what these people do. Can we talk about what these people do and yep. kind of why they matter or who cares mm -hmm. about, and, and like, I read a page of what they're talking about and it seems like they're saying all these things. But I don't understand any of it. Now, granted, he's got very limited kind of exposure and capacity, but it seems like classic case of a 20-year-old notices yeah. that we're eating way too much of our own press clippings mm -hmm. and way too much of our own cooking without really articulating where and how mm -hmm. we add value. Yeah. yeah, And I'll bring it to the, the, the some of the stuff that I'm working on, I'm seeing reps work on because I'm having them come in and do workshops for me, um, is how AI is accelerating that. And it is fascinating. No, I'm not joking. Like, so here's an example. There's a there's a, a, a young professional, not a kid, that I talked to uh, who actually works at Microsoft, and he had no sales experience, zero sales experience up until two years ago, and he decided to get. He wanted a job at Microsoft, so he he started using these tools and a ChatGPT to educate him on Microsoft. So he got the job with the company. And then he, I mean, think about Microsoft, all the different products that Microsoft has, right? So he sat there in ChatGPT and was like, hey, how does Microsoft make money? Idiot question. Like, how does Microsoft actually make money? What are all the different products and services? What value do we bring to organizations? And, and I highly recommend everyone do that for their own. So every executive is listening right now. Do yourself a favor. Get off of this call. Go into ChatGPT and start asking, put your website in and start asking it questions about your business. You will find that you will get more value out of the answers from ChatGPT than you would a typical sales rep who's going to come in and ask you a bunch of dumbass bant questions and drone through a PowerPoint presentation that nobody cares about. And when you realize that, you will realize you have to change the way that you enable and train your teams because mm -hmm. AI, and, and so you can use AI to 
exponentially grow your business acumen. Hey, what do CFOs in the financial services industry care about right now? What are some of the top challenges that CISOs and healthcare are dealing with right now? And what are some things that, how, how does my solution help support some of those? Hey, let me take this 10K or annual report from a publicly traded company, throw it into ChatGPT, have it, have it, I don't, look, 10Ks annual reports, I, I'm not, I told you, I drank my way through four years of college. <laughs> I usually read the first paragraph from the CEO and the rest, I'm like, rah, rah, rah. like EBITDA, that's the, right? I don't understand. I was never educated on how to read through a 10K or in report. I don't need to be anymore. Hey, uh, could you summarize this entire 10K in report and tell me what the top highlights are? Oh, and now, based on what their strategic initiatives are, could you tell me what aspect of my solution and my product can actually help them achieve what they're yeah. accomplishing and help me create a prospectus that I can bring to a CEO and start talking to them about? Yeah. Like, are you shitting me? I just, you know, I just took what it would might have probably taken me four hours to research and come up with a perspective and did it in five minutes. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and there's an old, uh, love that. And it, it serendipitously, I, I took justice through this company that's interested in their last quarterly report. Yep. And you're right that the CFO had presented and the slides after slides of their earnings and all that. And then we got to, and these guys are growing despite mm -hmm this unbelievable uncertainty. So we went there and I said, think about why they're growing. How are they growing when everybody right. else is struggling? So not just business acumen, but the ability to discern mm -hmm. all this raw information with insights. You're exactly right. ChatGPT will distill that for me much more quickly. But I want to go back to something you said earlier about empathy. There's mm -hmm. an old, for our audience, if, if you haven't heard it, there's an old uh, story of a, a really green person, you know, getting a job, at, I think, you know, a big box retailer selling air conditioners. Mm -hmm. And the first couple of weeks, he, you know, he, he he doesn't know anything, right? So somebody, a customer walks up, a pros, you know, prospective customer walks up, says, I'm looking for an air conditioner. Well, I, you know, I, sure, let's, and he starts reading side of these boxes. And mm -hmm. and as he listened to the, you know, I'm asking about size of the room and do you want it on a window? Do you want it installed? What do you want? They, they kind of figure this out together. Then, and, and he does phenomenally well. So this big box retailer says, look at this kid. He's got no sales training. Look how well he's doing. Imagine how much more impactful he would be if we actually send him to a whole bunch of product training and made sure he knew the product inside and out. And that's exactly what they did. They sent him to a whole bunch of product training and don't telegraph where I'm going, but you kind of know where I'm going. He comes back with a head full of knowledge of prospect. Jen walks in looking for air conditioner. Jen, you be quiet. Let me tell you all about BTUs. And mm -hmm. this one has all these features. And his sales actually went down mm -hmm. because he stopped listening and caring and really mm -hmm. empathizing and understanding where that prospect was coming from and wanted to spew all that he knew. So JB, my question of you, the role of relationships in this AI-led kind of mm -hmm. sales process and buyers getting more intelligent. I, I read a fascinating report that I think buyers do something like 70% of their due diligence before they ever want to talk to somebody. Yeah, this corporate so, executive board, yeah. Right? So where do relationships come in and how do we leverage relationships to better align the way we sell to the way that customer buys? So... I think relationships, it's all about value, okay? So relationships, 
used to be valuable in the sense that we had a good relationship. You and I were friends. We went golfing. We took you out to dinners and, and we had a good relationship. And, and to a certain degree, a lot of that, what that relationship was value at the time, right? And I'll give a quick, I think I, I shared the story with you when I had um, my, my financial advisor and I had my insurance guy, right? And my insurance guy, when I was young, would take me out golfing once a year at this really nice golf club that I never, that, that at that time when I was 25, I didn't have enough money to, to join. So to me, that was value. Like I didn't have kids. I didn't have a wife. Like playing at this golf course was awesome. But then after a while, like wife, kid, and he would call me up. Hey, John, hit the links. I'm like, why, Mike? He'd be like, what do you mean? I'm like, I don't know. Touch base, check in, man. I'm like, Mike, let me ask you. Um, can you add four hours of value to my life? Uh, what? Uh, well, here's a different question, Mike. Are you more valuable than my daughter? Are you more valuable than my daughter? Uh, the answer to that one's no. It's easy. So, um, so can you add four hours of value to my life? Or are we going to get together for about 15, 20 minutes? You're going to tell me how much I'm going to tell you how much money I'm making. You're going to tell me how much life insurance I need to buy. Uh, we're going to hack around the golf course for three and a half hours. And the end, you're going to ask for referrals. And I'm going to tell you I don't have any. Is that pretty much how the day's going to go? And I was like, Mike, can we just? Take the, care of this over 15 minutes over the phone. I can tell you how much money I'm making. You can tell me how much more life insurance, and I can tell you I don't have any referral Let's for you. streamline this. I like to streamline this from four hours to 15 minutes. Right? Can my, point, yeah, my point is, is what was value to me younger was no longer value, and he was leaning on that relationship. Now, punched him in the mouth with that. He started adding value to me. Even stuff he couldn't do, by the way. This is stuff like he would, because he talked about my goals, my strategies. And he would send me stuff because he was only insurance. He couldn't do the investment stuff. So I would take his ideas and I'd bring them to my investment guy and be like, can we do this? And be like, yeah, great. But my investment guy, once a year, December 15th in Woburn, Massachusetts at Panera Bread, we'd get together, we'd go over all these stupid charts and graphs that I don't understand. We'd end up the conversation with, do we make money or did we lose money? If we made money, keep doing it. If we lost money, stop. And then we do it again the next year. So because this kid was adding so much value, he eventually moved over to an investment firm. Mind you, this guy who was managing my money, he was a friend. My wife grew up with his partner in high school. We went to their kid's soccer practices. We hung out with them on the weekends. We still do. I gave him one more chance. When he moved to an investment firm that could actually make investments, I sat down December 15th, Panera Bread, Woburn, Massachusetts, had him go through the graphs. And at the end, I said, thank you very much, Travis. I appreciate this. Um, anyways, I'm going to be taking my money and I'm going to give it to Mike over here uh, because he just moved to an investment firm. He's going to be managing all my money. And he was floored. He was like, what, John? Wait a minute. What, how, what are you talking about? I thought we had a good relationship. Yeah, we have a great relationship. But this isn't value to me anymore. What you're doing isn't value. What he, you remember all those ideas that that kid has been sharing with, you know, that I bring to you every once in a while and be like, hey, can we do this? You know where those come from? Those come from him. He added value when he had no interest or no ability to service what he was telling me to do. My point is, is when you prospect, I try to add, like, say you're with one of my top competitors. I'm going to add so much fucking value to your world as I nurture you. I'm going to ask you questions that you should be asking your, your, your vendor. I'm going to, I'm going to send you resources that you can use to educate yourself and do better whether you spend a dime with me or not. So eventually you wake up one day and be like, Shit, I'm getting more value out of this kid who's prospecting into me who then my relationship that I've had with this vendor for the past three years. That's how value has changed. And so relationships have changed. Values changed. We have, you asked about the sales, the, the buying cycle. They come in and out whenever they want at this point. It's no, it's not, I love companies who have this linear sales process. Oh, discovery stage. Like, oh, yep, check that box. We're in the next stage. It's like, is the client in that stage? I highly doubt it. <laughs> so my point is, is you got to look for adding value literally in every interaction. 
every yeah. interaction. And and just to reiterate that for our audience, I often talk about in every interaction, you, you have two choices and two choices. You're either going to enhance, elevate the perceived value of that relationship, or you're going to dilute it. Yep. And the choice is entirely yours with how you show up, how much value you add when you show up, and 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 truly helping them feel, and, and this is the critical part, they have to feel that they're better off because of you. Yep. Otherwise, exactly what JB said between his insurance guy and his financial services guy, those people became complacent. Mm -hmm. They became comfortable that on an annual basis, I could touch base and I would keep getting that money. And regrettably, those two business models are also complacent in mm -hmm. that it's a recurring revenue kind of, yeah. you know, got to keep getting until somebody says, no, 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 no. no. I'm no longer happy with what I'm getting, the, the perceived value that I'm getting. I'm going to go somewhere else where somebody else is adding value. So reiterating that relationships, you cannot allow those to become stale nope. and just count on we're going to keep going. We're going to keep doing the same thing nope. and expect the same same value. Nope. You know, somebody told me this early in my career that they want every time they meet with somebody – at the end of that meeting, whether they actually do this or not, they want to be able to ask the person, hey, would you have paid for this? And I don't care, like not a lot of money, but the question is, is was the time you spent with me valuable enough that you would have paid a few bucks for it? And if the answer is that, yes, then you're in good shape. If the answer is no, I want my time back. You know, those you ever watch a movie where you're like, I wish I had those two hours of my life back? Like, that's kind of like I am with most sales calls. Like, I want that 30 minutes of my life back because I got no value out of this conversation. I just thought of a new new app, right? <laughs> Getting feedback on yeah, your two hours you just spent was a complete waste of time yep. with that person. Love I'm it. I'm going to charge you. <laughs> so on that note of, of providing value uh, at every touch point, I guess what would be your best recommendation for individuals and organizations to stay top of mind without mm -hmm. crossing that annoying factor and okay. still providing that value? It's, uh, the, it's funny the way, the way you phrase that question is the way I ask it. So literally I'll ask somebody, whether it's say it's prospecting or even an existing account, um, I get somebody on the phone and we all get this, right? Hey, call me back in six months, call me back in nine months. We're just not ready yet type of thing. I literally ask the question, Hey, no problem. Obviously you won't try to deal with the objection. What's going to happen in six months and whatever, whatever. But really I'll say, Hey, Jen, happy to look, how do I stay top of mind between now and then without being annoying? And I'll preface it. Uh, this is a tip for people listening. Um, when you ask a question, the easiest way to understand if you have a good question is to assume that the person's going to push back on you and say, why do you need to know that? So you always have to have a reason for your question, right? So a lot of times I'll preempt your answer with my reason. So I'll say, hey, Jen, um, just out of curiosity, how do I stay top of mind between now and then without being annoying? And look, the reason I ask is because I tend to try to follow a lot of the trends that are out there in the industry, like some of the, you know, for me, some of the new tech tools and some of the new stuff that's happening out there, new methodologies, books or anything like that. So is there anything that if I come across in, in my kind of travels, if you will, of, of knowledge that you would get value out of if I find out any information? And by the way, that does not have to be JB sales specific. That's just anything, right? And then you'll tell me, well, yeah, John, if you come across any cool tools or anything that like stuff like, yeah, feel free to send them my way. Fantastic. Well, then I go into, I used to do this in Salesforce. I've made the transition to HubSpot, but I haven't made it yet. In Salesforce, I had um, a contact field. And then under the contact was interests. It was a bunch of checkboxes. And it was anytime I was talking to you, I would either pick up on it through osmosis because of stuff you said, or I would ask you directly. And then I would check off all those boxes. Then I use a product called Feedly. So F-E-E-D-L-Y. It's an RSS aggregator. Uh, say there's like five different blogs you like reading. Usually you have to go to five different websites or get five different emails. You can create a folder in Feedly called sales blogs and dump all your sales blogs in there. 
So I, all of those topics that people said that they were interested in, I go follow all the thought leaders. So I, I, I find the people who are talking about those topics and I create those folders. Then when I drink my coffee in the morning, I just, that, first of all, that's what I scan to read, just business acumen, learn about what's going on, share on social, build my personal brands. But then when I come across a kick-ass article that's very relevant to something, I then go into Salesforce and I run a report that says, I want to see every VP of sales in the tier one accounts in whatever industry who are interested in whatever that topic is. That might only be a list of five or six people. And I sent a personalized email to each one of them. Hey, I remember about three months ago, you said that you were super interested in this thing. I just read this article that I thought was bananas. And here's a couple of key takeaways. Here you go. Not let's talk about it. Not let me sell you something. Just wanted to add some value. JB, in a non-creepy way, I'm a hugger. If you were here, I would hug you. Because <laughs> just that formula for our audience, that formula, you're right. It's not going to be $100 a day. But I, I wrote about it in the last book. I, I joke aside, I called it the Jerry Maguire business model. <laughs> and the premise is, what if we focused on fewer, but we build deeper, more meaningful relationships? What if we, the prospecting, instead of the 100 dials to connect with one, have one mm -hmm. conversation, what if we did our due diligence and, and that reach out was personalized and highly customized mm -hmm. and could we turn those into two or three conversations? And certainly better than this, 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 you know, gunshot approach in the dark that we're doing. Well, I think this whole trend is quality over quantity. And thankfully, I, even the new trend, even the new thing that came, I forget who, it, I think it's Google um, Outreach just actually sent this alert out that as of January, I think they're limiting to 5,000 sends per company. I couldn't be happier about that. Couldn't be happier about it. I'm like, finally, somebody at a macro level is doing something about this nightmare that we're all in right now. I had not, I was gone for a week. I, I just took last week vacation. 960 emails were in my inbox. After going through every one of them, do you know how many were actually valid that I had to do something with? 20. 40. <laughs> 40. Do you know how many personalized emails I got from a prospecting standpoint out of the um, out of the uh, twenty eight sales sales I would consider like pitching me something right I, or seeing it zero oh my gosh zero not one personalized you know how many videos I got from sales reps saying hey John what's up man it's good to, you know about zero zero right yeah I, so I, so I I know yeah. you you just brought up some tech examples I know Jen's passionate about the right kind of tech. Mm. So what's the right mix in that letting tech do some of that heavy lifting mm -hmm. in an agile organization? That's yep. so is, is personalization at scale. Do you believe is that possible? Is that viable? Uh, yeah, I, I think AI is going to, like I said, I think in, in two years, it's, it's, it's going to be super personalized and super relevant and it's not going to have any human involvement at all. But I think that the way I look at it now is something that I picked up from Gary Vaynerchuk a while back. Um, so back in 2017, um, you know, most I was on site training and most of my training is prospecting. And a lot of it has to do with this one email. It was called the why you, why you now email developed by Jeff Hoffman. And it was about personalization, right? You go on somebody's website, you find a trigger, you do it, send an email, go for it. And a couple of, of young professionals left Salesforce and they, they came to me and said, Hey John, we created this artificial intelligence bot that creates super hyper personalized emails at a fraction of the time we want to show it to you. It's based off of your email. I'm like, Sure. You know, they're like, we want to show it to you. I'm like, whatever. Yeah. So this is 2017. What they sent me legitimately blew my mind. I was like, what? I mean, I, my email back to him, I have the record. I said, like, 
there was no human involvement in writing. I mean, it was super personalized. And they were like, yep, no human involvement other than the picking the article to use from our app. And by the way, it took 70 seconds. I, honestly, I freaked out because the majority of my training was to teach in reps how to do this. Now it's a Gmail plugin, right? So that at around that time, I went to Gary Vaynerchuk. He has this uh, 4D session where you can go to his office and you and like 15 other entrepreneurs sit down and he all his executives come in and they tell you what they're doing with some of the biggest brands in the world. And then Gary does a Q&A at the end. And this is when I saw that email and I said, Gary, I just saw a robot basically write an email better and faster than a rep could ever do it. Where, like, where does that leave us as sales professionals? Like, are we screwed? And he said something that sticks with me to this day. He goes, don't worry about the tech. You're not going to beat it. He goes, um, but be the last mile. And I was like, he said, be the last mile. Let it do all the heavy lifting. Let it do the research. Let it even write the email. But right before you hit send, just humanize it. Yeah. Because there's always going to be that. I don't like to say always because it's never always. But there is something. I mean, I get a lot of these AI emails. I can tell they're AI, even though they're personalized. I can tell they just don't have a soul. I don't know how to explain it, but they just don't have a soul. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, and so, but if you take it and you let it do all that so you can learn and be like, holy shit, that's actually a great connection there. But now let me make it mine. It's like I lost my mind the other day on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is now allowed. There's a lot of these companies that do auto comments on LinkedIn posts. And like I did one post and I got five comments that were almost all exactly the same format, said slightly different things. And I screenshotted it, blocked out the names and posted it on it. I said, if you are auto commenting with AI on LinkedIn, you're going to ruin this platform. Like in-mails are already ruined. Nobody gives a shit about those. But comments, that's where you build your brand. That's where you build credibility. And if all of a sudden every comment, I'm not going to be able to tell whether it's an AI or not. I'm not going to trust you. I'm not going to trust anything about you. <clears throat> and the, first of all, the platform is going to fall apart. But if you want to have AI scrape a bunch of my top tier accounts and then write posts to comment on theirs that I then have to look at, read, validate, think is cool, it. and then maybe tweak up and hit send. Got it. Done. Done. Be the last mile. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I mean, there's so many tools and technologies that are kind of just ruining all the platforms, if you will. Yeah. I mean, like you said, LinkedIn, emails, they're no longer really relevant because they're, right. there's the spray and pray approach because email was no longer working or cold calls right. weren't working because everybody went home mm -hmm. uh, in the pandemic. So you couldn't get anybody on their office phones. With all the technologies and the ability to automate everything, there are mm -hmm. going to be those people that take the shortcut sure. um, how are you seeing that the people who are taking the shortcut aren't going to win out in the end and those who do actually focus on the fundamentals are going to differentiate themselves enough to matter that's a good question um it's something i battle with all the time quite frankly uh i know if i decided to sell my soul that i could be 10x and i'm not going to mention who that person is but 10x what I am right now, as far as my social reach and my popularity and all that other stuff. But I, I like, and so I'm probably a bad person to ask for this because I could probably be a multimillionaire right now if I sold my soul and didn't give a shit about quality and, 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 or authenticity. I unfortunately care about authenticity. I unfortunately care about what, what the perception is out there for me. And I do things the hard way. Um, that said, I've been in this industry for 15 years. I've seen people come and go from a influencer standpoint, whatever the hell that means these days. 
flash in the pants for a couple of years. Holy smokes. They posted every day, 15 times a day. Look at all that great content a month, six months later. Where's all that content? <laughs> like you're not consistent with it. Look, I think so many people are in such a rush right now. Um, patience is, is just not something we have as a society anymore. I just want to like any rep who's listening to this in their twenties, <laughs> you know, if you, if you think sales is your career, it's a 40, 50 year career. I think you can sit as an SDR for a couple of years and learn the trade. Um, here's an example, Picasso. I was going to be an artist. That was my first major in college. Um, figured out pretty quick. I wasn't very good at it. Uh, unless at least to make money. Um, Picasso is my favorite artist. Picasso did not become Picasso out of the gate. Picasso mastered every medium before he went to the next one. I mean, think about it, right? He was acrylics and then it was oils and then it was this and then it was this genre. And he, and he would go so deep into whatever that genre is for as long as he needed to, to master it. And eventually he became Picasso. There's plenty of other artists that were maybe just as good you know what I mean? Like visually, like the, the art looked cool compared to Picasso's or whatever it is. People didn't really understand cubism when it really came out, but he's Picasso. The question is, is do you want to, do you want to be Picasso or do you want to just be that artist on the street? Who's, you know, really good for a little while might get a pop, you know, because he's got a cool NFT or something like that, that, that exploded on social for a minute but then can't stay consistent with it. And I think that's where the fundamentals come in. Anybody can be hot for a year or two or anything like that. Can you be consistently good? It's that know. fundamental difference between instant gratification and, and willing to be, you know, do the incredibly difficult work necessary yeah. to become world-class, to yeah. become so good at what you do that individuals and companies and organizations can't, can't ignore you. I, I interviewed an executive I distinctly remember this 10 years ago who in his fifties, he had never put a resume together. <laughs> so out of college, he went in with somebody's a co-op internship, whatever, you know, that team or that group got sold. They went to the next company that got mm -hmm. bought. Then it got recruited just because of his name and reputation and brilliance and so on and so forth. And he just, Everywhere he went, he learned, he grew in that process and and, be, and literally built an unbelievable reputation. But the fact that in his 50s, think about it a second, never built a resume, never, you know, had to go and traditionally interview for jobs, just reiterated his commitment to yeah. I'm going to be really good at this over a 30, 40 year career. Yeah. So 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 for one of our, my last questions, I want you to not not future gaze, but in <laughs> thinking about this next year. Mm -hmm. What are you most excited about? What are you most concerned about in, in sales, in sales organizations, and just kind of give us, I'm looking for kind of your more pragmatic yeah. forecasts of, of what, what are, what are some things that every listener should be concerned about? What are some things that they should be really excited and kind of get behind? I think AI is going to cover both of them. I'm super excited about all the cool things. Like, so when I talk about, you know, oh, the changes, I actually think they're fantastic, quite frankly. Um, and I've said this for a while, even before AI hit, that, that, but now it's real, is that it's going to make good sales reps great, great sales reps incredible, but average sales reps are relevant. And so 
I think next year I'm fired up with all the cool tools and just getting to see which ones I can use because I'm going to be in that top percent. I'm telling you that right now. Um, and I'm going to play around with all the tools and, I, and I'm rooted in fundamentals. So I'm excited to layer these tools on top of my fundamentals, not replace or in lieu of my fundamentals. What I'm scared of is all the reps who are average, all the reps who are not paying attention, all the reps who got inflated egos over the past 10 years thinking that they were great at what they did because they showed up. Um, I'm afraid of work ethic, that we've lost it. I'm afraid of collaboration because people aren't, are, are this generation, and look, I'm sounding like my dad more and more these days, but when I said earlier about the, the feedback loop, it is, I, I'm sorry, like I've given feedback to younger professionals coming in and literally you watch them go like this. Like when you're giving them just like direct, you're not even like, I'm not even like, look, I'm pretty harsh. I'm pretty direct. But when I'm giving feedback or coaching, I'm very, I'm trying to be very constructive. Right. And you like, I'm trying to be very, and they're like, oh, I'm like, are you all right? Like something, just something bite you. And they're like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, I, I'm, you know, I'm just like getting feedback. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. And, and, and now taken to another level of now getting offended by my feedback and telling HR. So now I don't want to give any feedback. Right. So I'm scared about that. Um, where here's, here's on the flip side. I'm excited. About the, I think the place that AI is going to have the biggest impact is actually frontline sales, frontline coaching, mm. because managers usually it's the best rep who gets promoted to be the manager, which is the worst thing you can do, um, and that manager never gets training on how to be a manager, how to coach, or any of that stuff, and so they do it from a very subjective standpoint, their their opinion. And it's never based on objectivity and it's intermittent because they're usually player coaches too. They have to go sell. So the coaching just, it doesn't happen. Okay. Let's all admit that and stop pretending like it does. Um, AI is, there's some cool, I'm using a cool like tool like Wonderway and a few others that legit records the call and you can actually put a format in there, medic, whatever you want of how you want that to that call to go and to be evaluated. And immediately after the call, the rep gets a summary of that call, what they did great on, the different characteristics, 100%, whatever it is, and then recommendations on what to do next. And then that rolls up to the manager that can actually see from a macro standpoint where the team needs help and then be very specific with their... I think the coaching is off the chart. Because think about most of these, like we grew up, I don't know, in the bullpen. So even if we got shitty uh, sales training, we, we learned through osmosis, right? It was like we were around sales. You heard it. You were around it. You, so you just learn just be, by being at the office, quite frankly. Um, now reps, most reps are sitting in their 500-square-foot studio apartment, sitting at the kitchen table trying to make cold calls. You know what I mean? So it's like it's hard with three other of their roommates in the same room. Um, so it's hard to get feedback. It's hard to give feedback. It's hard to accept feedback. But when an AI bot objectively gives you something and you probably have to check out the box that says, I won't sue the AI bot for bad feedback, whatever, um, it'll be, you know, accept terms and conditions and we'll be in there. You can't sue us. Um, now, all of a sudden, I'm learning. You know what I mean? Now, all of a sudden, I'm, I'm getting better every day, every call because I get a summary. Right. So that's what I'm excited about. For our audience, uh, if you missed it, you missed a you missed a good one. You've been listening to the very shy, very quiet, very introverted John Barrows of JB Sales. Joking aside, uh, res res you know, with enormous amount of respect to our previous guest, this has been one of my favorite conversations. Really enjoyed John. Like I said, I'm also writing a Forbes uh, leadership article on this. The candor is refreshing. The insights are real. 
Uh, it's not, John's not, you know, hopefully you, you heard the same. He's not regurgitating a book report. He's living these conversations on a daily basis. So, mm -hmm. so John, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here. Uh, for our audience, uh, we posted it online as well. If you want to learn more about John and his work, uh, Jay Barrows, B-A-R-R-O-W-S.com is his website. Mm -hmm. uh, phenomenal uh, sales trainer, very you know, real, very candid, very tactically focused <laughs> on the fundamentals. I would encourage you to check him out. We've got some great episodes coming up. Uh, as we approach the end of the year, Jen and I are going to talk about year-end relationship house cleaning, year-end digital slash RevOps house cleaning, and of course, our, uh, our predictions for intelligent growth for 24. So hope you'll join us. Uh, we are live each Tuesday at noon Eastern. Uh, so come join us on the various social platforms. We also return these into podcasts, wherever you consume podcasts, just search for intelligent growth. On behalf of Jen Kors, John, thanks again for joining us. Thanks everybody for being here and we look forward to seeing you next time. Take thanks care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Intelligent Growth Podcast. Over the years, Jen and Noor have had the privilege of advising senior leaders and their teams on their go-to market strategies, creating world-class processes and capabilities, and integrating complex tech stacks. Now, it's their passion to share marketing, sales, and customer success insights and strategies that will help you transform your go-to market success. We hope you've enjoyed the show. For more, visit the website at avnir.com. See you next time on the Intelligent Growth Podcast.